Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. We're wrapping up this Christmas series today, the nights before Christmas. And um, the thing is, whether you're a church person or not a church person, you know the basics of the Christmas story. Anybody who's grown up in America has heard the basics of the Christmas story. But there is a secret to the Christmas story that you may not be so aware of. And this is a part that I found fascinating about the story. There are parts of the Christmas story that were actually predicted hundreds and hundreds of years by multiple different people, hundreds of years by different people. They were predicted that they were going to happen, and then lo and behold, when the Christmas story actually happened, all the predictions came true. I think it's pretty fascinating. Part of the reason is because the Christmas story is a really hard story to actually believe. Now, if you grew up in church and you're kind of like, no, man, I have no problem. But, but for most people who didn't grow up in that, listen, I get this. This may be some of you. It's really hard to believe that A, um, a virgin had got pregnant and had a baby, and B, oh, not only did a virgin get pregnant and have a baby, but that baby was God in human flesh. And that sounds a little outlandish, doesn't it? But there are a couple reasons, we're not going to talk about them all today, but there are a couple reasons why we have confidence that this actually happened. One is, there were eyewitnesses who wrote accounts about it, and they didn't do it years and years later once everybody had died off. No, no, no. They wrote accounts, eyewitness accounts of the Christmas story within a time frame when all the people who were there were still alive and could easily have said, no, 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 that's not how it happened, okay? So, we, so there are all these eyewitness accounts we have and all of these eyewitnesses who were around. And the other reason that we can have confidence the story is true is because of these predictions that I talked about, and sometimes they're called prophecies, but these predictions that I talked about that were made for hundreds of years before the story ever happened, and then they all came true. And today I want to show you one of those predictions. And the reason I think it's important is because it answers some questions that all of us have asked. I certainly have asked them. I think all of us have asked at different points in our lives. We all find ourselves in seasons where we wonder things like, well, does God really keep his promises? And is he active in the world? And is he active in my life? I mean, isn't it true? You've had moments maybe where you felt like God was really active in your life and it was obvious. But then we can all tell stories of having seasons of our lives where it's like, I don't know where he is, you know. I keep praying and nothing's happening. I keep trying to do the right thing, but things don't seem to be changing, you know. All of us have had seasons where we wondered, is he there or has he abandoned me? Is he, act, is he absent? Is he not active anymore? And then you start looking at the world, and we live in a generation that knows more about what's happening in the world than any generation before us. I mean, we, we have more information about world events than anybody else. And so you start looking at everything going on in the world, and you start scratching your head, don't you? Because you come somewhere like here, and somebody like me tells you, oh, there's, there's a God who's for you, and he cares about you, and he loves you, and he's in control of everything. He's got all power. And then you start looking at what's going on in the world, and I'm no different. You start looking at it, and you're like, why in the world would he let all that happen? There are these wars happening here, and there's a genocide happening over there, and 100 people got killed here with this, and 1,000 people got killed over there with that, and that flood happened, and that hurricane. And just, we just hear so much. It causes us to scratch our heads sometimes and go, well, where's God in the middle of all this? There's no rhyme or reason to it. Like, if he's active and he really cares, wouldn't he do something about it? So that's why I love this prediction we're going to look at today so much because it actually pumps up my confidence that God does keep his promises, that he actually is active in the world in spite of what we see, and that 
Maybe most personally, he's active in my life. So, you know the basics of the Christmas story. An angel shows up to Mary, says, Mary, I know you're engaged to be married to Joseph, but as a virgin, you're going to be pregnant. And then the angel goes on. You can read this for yourself. It's kind of interesting because the angel goes on and says, oh, but this is going to be a special baby and explains who Jesus is and, you know, what, what all is going to happen. And as soon as the angel finishes talking, it's like Mary just zoned out and didn't hear anything about the special baby part because she comes right back to the angel and says, whoa, that, that pregnancy thing, how can that be? You know, she's just so confused. She didn't expect this either. And the angel says, oh, this is going to be a miracle. God's making this happen, Mary. And so Mary finally gets to the point where she's like, okay, whatever God wants to do, I'm willing to cooperate. I'm willing to do it. But then Mary had a problem on her hands. She has to go tell Joseph. So she makes what I think had to be a very long walk down to Joseph's house, knock on the door and say, hey, I got some news I need to share with you. His angel showed up, you know, and da-da-da-da. Oh, by, by the way, I'm, I'm pregnant. But I'm not just pregnant like any pregnancy. I'm pregnant with, with God as a baby. That's who I'm pregnant with. And Joseph, you can read this for yourself. I'm not making this up while well, I'm embellishing a little, but this is, this is real. So Joseph looks at Mary and is basically like, are you kidding me? I mean, if you cheated on me, just tell me. But of all the stories you could come up with, that's the one you're going to use. You know, Joseph, and no different, we wouldn't have bought it either. Joseph doesn't buy any of it. So Joseph is like, no, 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 there is no way Angel showed up. She's miraculously pregnant. Oh, this is ridiculous. She cheated. She just doesn't want to tell me she cheated. So Joseph decides I'm done with her. I'm breaking off this engagement. We are not going to finalize this marriage. But Joseph was a really good guy. And he knew, and this is all about first century Jewish culture, but he knew the cultural consequences if this became public, that Mary had cheated on him. It would be so harsh on her. And they're in a small town, so everybody's going to know, right? So he decides, I'm not going to make this public. I'm going to privately, quietly end this engagement. And Mary can do what she wants to do. She can, you know, run off to some relatives in another town for a while. She can disappear. However she wants to handle this. I just don't want to put her through all that. So he looks at Mary and says, we're done. We're done. I'm not going to make it public, but we're done. I'm not buying your story. And you could imagine the emotion that Joseph is feeling. And he goes to bed that night and he finally gets himself to sleep. And then the craziest thing happens. In the middle of his sleep, an angel appears to him in a dream because that is the only way to convince Joseph that Mary's telling the truth. An angel appears to him in a dream and says, Mary's not lying to you. She hasn't cheated on you. God has miraculously made her pregnant. And the baby she's having is the long-awaited Messiah. It's going to be God as a baby, God in human flesh. And then the angel gives Joseph some instructions in his dream. He goes on and he says, she will give birth to a son. And Joseph, you don't get to decide what name you're going to call this boy. You're going to give him the name Jesus because this baby has a purpose. He'll save his people from their sins, which was Jewish code immediately. Joseph knew, oh, he is the long way of Messiah. This is God. We've been waiting for centuries for this to happen. And then Matthew steps out of the story. Matthew gives us this account. And Matthew got his information for this eyewitness account from Mary and probably, possibly, Joseph. So this is straight from the sources. And he steps out at this point because to the Jewish audience he was writing to, this would have been so significant. He steps out of the story and he tells us this. He says, all this took place fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet. And he's referring to the prophet Isaiah. And God through Isaiah had told the Jewish people this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a prediction. This is a prophecy that, I mean, we've heard talked about every Christmas, right? We, it's in our songs. 
But you may not realize that when Isaiah first delivered this promise or prediction, it was about 735 B.C., over 700 years before Jesus was born. And the context behind this, well, it's, it's quite odd. It's quite unusual. But I think it might be quite encouraging to you. Because when the promise was made, it made no sense to the people who heard it. So, Isaiah lived in what was called the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you were here last week, Jared gave you a little bit of this, and I'll review quickly and catch those of you who are new up. So by this point in history, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they had had political strife. They'd been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which had retained the name Israel, and this southern kingdom, which was now called Judah. And they were surrounded by different groups of people, other nations, including to the east, a nation called Aram, which is where modern-day Syria is, Damascus, okay? So the Arameans were right there to their east. And then the, the empire that had everybody's attention to the north was the Assyrian Empire. If you know much from your high school or college history classes, you know the Assyrians had advanced technology at the time. They were brutal. I mean, they were just, they, they were crushing people. And they were moving from north to south, just swallowing up countries, nations, people groups, swaths of land to make part of their own empire. So the backstory for this prediction is this, and this gets a little confusing, but try to hang with me and I'll do my best to, to sort it out. So Judah had a king at the time. His name was Ahaz. Jared talked about him a little bit last week. Israel had a king. His name was Pekah. And Aram over here to the east had a king. His name was Rezin. And they all knew Assyria was coming. And so Pekah and Rezin started having a conversation and said, you know what? The best hope we have, the only hope we have, is that let's see if Ahaz will join forces with us. The three of us will come together with our armies and we'll try to attack the Assyrian Empire and defeat it. Maybe they'll leave us alone. So they send word down to Ahaz saying, hey, will you come join us? And Ahaz knows I am in a no-win situation. Because if I say yes, the Assyrians are going to crush us anyway. If I say no, I'm going to tick off Pekah and Rezin, and they're going to take their armies, and they're going to try to attack me. There is no way out of this scenario. So Ahaz tries to stall, but the stalling doesn't work. And Pekah gets tired of waiting for an answer. He gets impatient, so he takes his Israeli army, and he marches straight down into Judah where Jerusalem is, the capital city, where for the purposes of our Christmas story, Bethlehem is located. He marches right down, and he attacks Jerusalem. Fortunately, Ahaz and his army, they're able to withstand the initial attack. Problem is, problem is, they get word that Rezin is on his way to. And as soon as Rezin is able to march down here, Pekah and Rezin, Aram and Israel, they're going to together attack Jerusalem. And Ahaz knows there's no way we can defeat them. It's not going to work. So, the people in Judah, they are scared out of their mind. And Part of what makes this so interesting is Ahaz has not followed God at all throughout his reign. He's been so rebellious. But there is a remnant of people in Judah who are still following God, who are still trying to do the right thing, who are still praying, and nothing good is happening for them. And they're asking all the questions we've asked. They're wondering, where's God? Why is he letting all this happen? Why, why isn't he stepping in? Has he abandoned us? This is what they're wondering. And then they get word that, oh my gosh, it's going to go from bad to worse. Now both armies are going to attack. Everybody knows they can't withstand that. And so Isaiah gives us a little insight in Isaiah chapter 7. He says this, Now the house of David, 
which is another way of saying Judah. And you're like, well, why don't they just say that? Well, they had all kinds of names for their countries. But we're, we do the same thing. Like it's, it's, they call it the House of Judah, same reason we call ours America and the United States of America and the United States and America. You know, we got all kinds of names for ours too, right? So the House of Judah, or of David, which is Judah, Ahaz and the people there are told, Aram, Aram, has allied itself with Ephraim, which is another name for Israel. Okay, so Aram and Israel, they have gotten together. And uh, Isaiah tells us that the hearts of Ahaz and the people there in Judah were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Like literally, they are so scared that they can't stop shaking. Now, some of you have been there and you've experienced this. As a matter of fact, I could create this in some of you right now if I pointed at you and said, come up here and I want you to speak on the stage for five minutes. Your hands would not stop shaking, would they? That's what gets most people. I get that. We've, we've had those moments. Well, this is literally what it's like. Like, they are so scared, they cannot stop shaking. And they don't think God's paying attention. But God was paying attention. And so God taps on the shoulder of his prophet Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, I want you to grab your son, and I want the two of you to go see King Ahaz. I have a message I want you to deliver to Ahaz, who doesn't follow me, but I'm paying attention anyway, and I want to give him another chance. I want you to give him this message, and here was the message. He says, be careful. This is Isaiah telling Ahaz this on behalf of God. Be careful. Keep calm. <laughs> Don't be afraid, which I'm sure Ahaz was like, that's terrible advice. Do you not know what's about to happen, uh, Isaiah? But listen, there was no reason not to be afraid from Ahaz's perspective. But what Ahaz never considers is that God had a different perspective on the current events happening to the nation of Judah. Isaiah goes on to deliver this message. He says, God tells you do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. What do you mean, smoldering stubs? Who are you talking about? God says, oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I'm talking about because of the fierce anger of resin and Aram, and because of the son of Remaliah, who was the king of Israel, named Pekah. He's going, those two guys who are coming with their armies, you're so scared. You don't have to be scared. Because when I, from my perspective, I look at them, they're like, they're like two smoldering stubs of firewood. Nothing for you to worry about. Not because they're not going to try to do something. As a matter of fact, God goes on to tell Ahaz, they're going to do exactly what you've heard. Here's what he says next. Aram, Ephraim. And Pekah, Ramalia's son, they applauded your ruin. I mean, all this you've heard is true. Here's what they're saying, Ahaz. They are saying, if you go to the next slide, they're saying, let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart, divide it among ourselves. So they've already got a plan. They're going to defeat you. They're going to split up the land. They're going to split up cities. They're going to split up the resources. And they have already planned the puppet king they're going to put in place. Let's make the son to build king over it. So God says, Ahaz, everything you've heard is true. And maybe you should be afraid if it's just up to you. But it's not just up to you. I'm involved too. So Isaiah goes on and he says this, Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. You don't think I'm in charge. You don't think I'm sovereign. You don't think I'm involved. But I still am. And I have a message for you and all the people of Judah. And here was God's message to him. He says, it will not take place. Everything has been planned. It will not happen. For the head of Aram... Is the capital city Damascus. And the head of the capital city is only King Rezin. You're like, only? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not worried about Rezin, God says. And he says, let me tell you some more. Within 65 years, Ephraim, Israel, that kingdom to the north of you, well, they're going to be too shattered to be a people too. 
God says, I know you're so scared about them and they seem so powerful right now. I'm just telling you, 65 years from now, they're going to be gone. 65 years from now, they'll be destroyed. There'll be nothing to fear. There'll be nothing to worry about. And so God tries to give Ahaz another chance. A king who has rebelled against him throughout his entire reign. God says, from my perspective, I've got all of this under control. Ahaz, will you just trust me? But then he gives him this warning. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith or your trust in me, Ahaz, well, you're not going to stand at all. So I want to deliver you from this, and I'll protect you from these two kings or nothing to me. But I'll only do it if you'll choose to trust me and follow me in my plan. I'm not going to do it if you ignore me. And apparently it was quite obvious that Ahaz was having a hard time trusting a God that he didn't care for. Because God goes on to offer him another chance and to make this extraordinary offer to him. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And he says, you ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. This was God's way of saying, I know you're not believing me. I know you don't think you can trust me. This is extraordinary when you think about it. God says, I'll tell you what, Ahaz. You come up with some sign that will prove to you you can trust me. You come up and ask for something that is so extraordinary, it can't be explained apart from me doing it. You just ask me to do whatever you want me to do, and I will do it. Give me a sign, and I'll make it happen. And then Ahaz looks back at Isaiah and responds, I will not ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, which sounds like he's you know, had a breakthrough. Oh, I don't need to. I trust God, but that's not what's happening at all. There's another historical account of this. It's in 2 Kings 16. And that account tells us that Ahaz had already put his own plan into motion. He had gone into the temple. He had gathered up all the valuables from the temple which were sacred to the Jewish people. And he had sent them along with an entourage all the way up to the Assyrian Empire. And they had delivered all of these valuables to the Assyrian emperor. And then they had said, we are begging of you. We will serve you. We will be part of your empire if you will just come and protect us from Pekah and from Rezin. So Ahaz had chosen to turn to the Assyrians. He'd rather trust them than trust God. And apparently Isaiah knows this has been going on. So when he hears this, Isaiah knows all. He's not going to take God up on his offer. So Isaiah looks back at him and says, Here now, you house of David, Judah, Ahaz, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? This was Isaiah's way of saying, I'm so sick of dealing with you. He says, will you try the patience of my God also? And then he makes his statement. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Ahaz, you don't want to ask for a sign. God's going to give one anyway. You don't want him involved. He's going to get involved anyway. You don't want to follow his plan. Well, he's got a plan, and you're not going to thwart it anyway. And this is where the prediction that we sing about and hear about at Christmas This is where it happens. Isaiah looks at Ahaz and says, here's your sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. But what is interesting is this made no sense to Ahaz and had no impact on him at all. Ahaz was like, women get pregnant in our country all the time. He just didn't understand. And so he went on with his plan. And what he didn't know was that everything was going to unfold just like God said it would unfold if he didn't trust him. Sure, the Assyrians stepped in, but it wasn't long before the Assyrians were in total control of Judah. Sixty-five years later, the Assyrians had crushed the northern kingdom of Israel. They were no more. 
And the Jewish people lived under the rule and oppression of the Assyrians until the Babylonians came along and conquered the Assyrians. And then they were under their thumb until the Medes and the Persians came along. Then they were under their thumb. And then the Greeks came along, Alexander the Great, and suddenly they were being ruled by the Greeks. And then finally the Roman Empire came along and just swallowed up these Jewish people. 700 plus years. The Jewish people waited for a sign that God was still with them. 700 years. They wondered, has he abandoned us? But at just the right time, and this is why this was so significant to Joseph. This is why Matthew put it in the account. At just the right time, God showed up. And an angel in a dream said to Joseph, no, no, no. This this is the sign you've been waiting for. It's happening. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And this was so significant. This is why Matthew steps out of the story and connects the dots between this prediction and what's happening in real time because they've waited so long for it. They've held on for so long. This is why Matthew tells us all this took place, fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And this is why Matthew tells us that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. Promise made, promise kept. Now, why do I share this with you? For one simple reason. Because I think all of us go through these seasons, and some of you, you're in them right now, where things are so hard, they're so difficult, where you're praying, 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 nothing's changing. You're going through these seasons where you're waiting, 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 and it seems like nothing's happening. And it is so easy to assume God is absent instead of active because you can't see his activity. It's so easy to assume God's abandoned you. It's so easy to assume that, you know, God's not, he must not care. He must not be here. But you know what? When Jesus showed up, what that first Christmas reminds us of what the cross gives us confidence that we can believe is that God really is for you and he's for me and he's with you and he's with me. And Jesus showed up that first time to offer forgiveness for our sins. But you know what Jesus said? He said, one day I'm going to come back and I'm just going to remove all sin from this world. I'm showing up the first time to fix the broken relationship between you and God, but I'm going to show up a second time and I'm going to fix this broken world and make everything the way it was intended to be again. And then you'll never have to wonder. You'll never have to doubt. You'll never have to question whether God cares about you. His presence will be always real and evident to you. So if you're in one of these seasons and it just feels like, and maybe it's certain things are never going to get better and you wonder why, I get that. But in the meantime, between when Jesus came the first time and when he comes back again to fix everything for good, you know what he said? He said, in this meantime when things are so hard, I'm offering you my grace, my hope, my strength, my mercy. You don't have to go through this hopeless. I'm with you. You can trust me. And so as we close with this last song, I want to invite you not to stand, not to sing. I just want to invite you to sit where you are and to take a moment to reflect on the words of this song and maybe to reflect and to pray and talk to God about the situation that you're currently in. 
Because if you're on the verge of losing hope, of losing faith, of losing trust, Christmas reminds us you can believe. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so grateful for Christmas that Jesus showed up because he understands what's like for us to lose hope. He understands what's like for us to wonder where you are. He understands what's like for us to pray and pray and pray and not see any visible activity and think we might have been abandoned. He understands all of that. And at the same time, at the same time, he he proved he was with us. He proved that he cared. He proved that we are not alone no matter what we face, no matter what we go through. So would you help those of us who maybe are in those seasons right now? Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to hope? Would you remind us that we can trust you? Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.